All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. My name is Dave Guadrelli. I am joined by Harmon Dial, our technical producer. The man at the controls is Grady Sass. Thursday, December 7th edition of Canucks Conversation. Before we get into tonight's game with the Minnesota Wild and the Vancouver Canucks, I need to tell you that today's episode is a presentation of the Vancouver General Hospital Millionaire Lottery. You've got until midnight, Friday, December 8th, to get in on the VGH Millionaire Lottery Christmas bonus draw, which includes a $40,000 vacation package from Travel Best Bets or a 2023 Hyundai Elantra Luxury Hybrid or $33,000 cash. With your VGH Millionaire Lottery tickets, you get in to win-win of 10 grand prize options, including home packages in Vancouver and the Lower Mainland, the Okanagan, Vancouver Island, or you can take $2.7 million in tax-free cash don't forget to get your 50 50 plus tickets where you can win half of bc's biggest jackpot it can grow to 2.4 million so don't miss out we all need vgh and vgh needs you every ticket purchase supports vgh and the ubc hospital foundation with your millionaire lottery tickets you are supporting more than just hospital care you're supporting you and your loved ones who need it most order your tickets toll free at one 445 in person at london drugs or online at millionairelottery.com 19 plus play know your limit play Within it, Tyler Myers, by the way, must have won the NHL for agency million millionaire lottery. <laughs> I was gonna say, do you need like an inhaler after that? Because that was quite the ad read there. Quads. It's a it was a, it's a long ad read. I well I done. typed it out. 
before the show and I was I didn't really I don't run through my ads I just go out go for it and uh that was me going for it um now you're gonna win the millionaire lottery just because of that yeah and I did run out of breath toward the end of that <laughs> speaking of which Andre Kuzmenko on the fourth <laughs> Andre Kuzmenko on the fourth line tonight against the Minnesota Wild we're trying to date ourselves too much but we kind of expected this with our conversation that we had yesterday yeah there was a sort of debate where some people were wondering whether he was going to get scratched for the game tonight and I remember being on the show yesterday and saying no you want to manage the relationship and I think the perfect middle ground where you want to send a message but at the same time manage the relationship is to shelter him at five on five play him in a fourth line role shuttle Nils Hoaglander up to a top six role and keep him on the first unit power play so that that way he's still getting his offensive touches especially because it's not as if the Canucks have a ton of viable alternatives for PP1 if you scratch Kuzmenko. And again, I just think it strikes the perfect middle ground. We'll get the morning skate lines in a second here, but we should mention that we do know, based on morning skate, I think courtesy of Brandon Batchelor, that Kuzmenko is going to be on the first power play unit. So noted listener of the show, Rick Tockett, basically is doing exactly what you suggested was the right course of action yesterday. Also with that, actually, let's get these lines up here, Grady. Uh, also with it, Niels Huglander getting the promotion as we expected, but we were going over these this morning, Harmon, and you noticed something with regards to Phil Giuseppe that might suggest a bit of a shorter leash for Niels Huglander tonight. Yeah, that's the only thing I'm worried about with Huglander is you've got PDG drawing back into um, the lineup in a fourth-line role, but would it shock you if let's say the Canucks have a lackluster first period, the top six isn't really going. And to shake things up, talk it, sends P- PDG back up to play with Miller and Besser, who he's, who talk it has previously liked in that spot. Mm-hmm. And then shuttles Hoaglander back into fourth line role, fourth line role. I hope that's not the case. I hope Hoaglander gets a legitimate opportunity and extended look to find success there because sometimes it takes a bit of uh, time to build chemistry, especially with how dynamite he looked with those other two uh, in the third period of that Devils game. But it is something that was percolating in the back of my mind was, okay, I love seeing Hoaglander in the top six. I'm really excited to see how he performs with that shot. But how long is that leash ultimately? And that's another thing. Um, the last time Phil Giuseppe played was November 22nd at Colorado. Did not play a lot in that game. And we were looking at, <clears throat> excuse me, we were looking at kind of, excuse me, I misspoke. The last time was the 30th against the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, didn't see a lot of ice time. His ice time, you know, we saw it through the month of November just kind of drastically decrease until he was working his way out of the lineup. And when Talkett originally spoke about PDG going into the press box, you know, we talked about how the things he was doing so well was getting in on the four check. And obviously that's something that Tarka doesn't like about Kuzmenko as well, but you have to assume that for a guy like PDG who has had to fight for everything he's ever been given at the NHL level is going to come in tonight with, you know, fire under his rear tonight. You have to think that. So further to the point of Niels Huglander having a shorter leash, you also have to think that Phil DiGiuseppe is going to be working his tail off to try to show he deserves a spot in that place where Niels Huglander now finds himself. And the reason Hoaglander's had success had success in the third period and the key to him sticking in that in that um, top line role, if you want to call it, with uh, with Miller and Besser, 
is exactly what PDG was bringing to the table, which is ferocious forechecking. And if anything, there are times when Hoaglander, he may not have the, like watching Di Giuseppe on the, on the forechecks, he's intelligent in terms of his angles, his stick work, uh, his routes. He's really surgical about it. He's really technical about it. But Hoaglander has a speed advantage where he can just come flying in like a wrecking ball and cause destruction, has that tenacity. Uh, I like to call him an energizer bunny. And and really that's going to be the, the, the determinant of whether that line is successful, whether that line spends a lot of time in uh, the offensive zone. And it's also going to be a fascinating sort of mental test for Hoaglander in the sense that Sometimes when you're finding success in a fourth line role, it it isn't as it isn't as daunting because you know your role isn't necessarily to produce offense. You don't have the pressure and the expectation to do that. It's more just be reliable, create energy, play with speed. And as a byproduct, you sometimes end up creating a lot of offense, as Hoaglander has done. But sometimes when young players then get shuttled up into a top six role, they feel the pressure of okay, now I'm playing with Miller and Besser. These guys have been producing. And sometimes they can stray away from their game a little bit because there's the expectation of, oh, now I got to create points. I got to help drive offense. And I think that's, I'm sure the coaching staff, a big part of their message to Hoaglander is going to be, yes, you're being elevated up the lineup, but don't change anything about your game. Don't feel, don't put any of that pressure on yourself. Keep playing exactly how you have been, because that's going to be how you're going to excel in this role. Especially when you got to see him in that role, excelling in that role toward the end of the last game that they played against the New Jersey Devils. When he was there in third period, he looked like a dog on a bone on the forecheck, and that's exactly what you want to see from him. Before we get to Kuzmenko, uh, one quick lineup note that we need to get out there. Casey DeSmith makes his first start since November 25th. If you recall, that was the game in San Jose that the Canucks lost by a final score of 4-3. to three. Casey Smith making 18 saves on 22 shots in that game. I'll talk about this a little bit. Yeah, go ahead. ahead. You you go. You're the goalie guy. Well, the thing that I was going to say was the conversations that we were having at the start of the year when DeSmith was starting almost every other game, regardless of if it was a back-to-back or not, we were talking about how huge that was for Thatcher Demko and his workload where in years past – That's never been an option for the Canucks. We've never seen a backup goalie utilized like that in this city for quite some time. I mean, when was the last time they tried to do it with Braden Holtby? Uh, It wasn't successful, and Demko ended up becoming the starter that year anyways, but we hadn't seen them split starts the way they were at the start of the year between Casey Smith and Thatcher Demko. That kind of went away in the month of November. Uh, Smith makes four starts in November, kind of on that same schedule where he's starting you know, he, like he started the game in Ottawa, started the game in Montreal, started the game in Calgary. Those were all within the span of a week. He started three games within a week. And now, obviously, Canucks had a bit of a condensed schedule as well. But if you're only looking at the back-to-backs, he didn't need to start all those games. That was the time when <clears throat> they had the three games in four nights. And we were talking about it, how they went to Demko against Toronto on the second leg of the back-to-back. But they went for DeSmith. They went with DeSmith in the game before that and the game directly after that, where in years past, that those would have been Thatcher-Demko starts. Obviously, the Canucks lose the game in Calgary, and then they lose to Smith's next start in San Jose. Have not seen him since. Conversation you and I had yesterday was, when is he going to get back in the crease? Turns out today is that day. And 
quietly, I'm, I'm not that it's a particularly important start, but I do think it matters in, in how much confidence the coaching staff will have utilizing him and lessening Demko's workload because I'm looking at the Canucks' schedule. They don't have another back-to-back through December. And even in January, just one uh, during the second week where they uh, play the Rangers and then uh, play the Islanders, it's also a pretty home-heavy schedule through the next six weeks or so. Because of that, it is a bit of a tipping point for DeSmith in terms of his playing time in the sense that he authors a strong start it's going to give the coaching staff confidence to roll him back again, even if Demko doesn't necessarily need a night off. Whereas if he struggles and bigger picture, you're looking at a Canucks team that hasn't been playing their best, uh, their best uh, hockey and essentially have been playing 500 for, for quite a while now, Mm -hmm. there might be more incentive then for the coaching staff to ride Demko even heavier. And um, again, even looking through February, they, it's not until the 19th where they get another leg of back-to-back. So right up until February 18th, you've only got one back-to-back. Yep. And you've also got the holiday break mixed in, which is going to give uh, give everybody a few days off as well. So I do think this is an important start in determining DeSmith's playing time over the next couple months. You, If you're DeSmith and the coaching staff, everybody wants to avoid a Yaroslav Halak situation where you're riding Demko so hard that the goaltender is now upset that he's only playing once a month, once every six weeks it ended up being for Yaro Halak. You obviously want to avoid that with Casey DeSmith, but at the end of the day, it's also going to be up to him, right? The, the way he was playing at the start of the year, it gave the coaching staff that confidence to play him in those two games when they had the two, uh, the three games in four nights. He played two of those games. If that happened right now, I don't think we'd see it, but I'm, I am happy to see that the coaching staff is still going with the Smith and they're not getting into that Yarrow Halak syndrome where they're like, we got to play our starter. We need to get some wins here. The team in front of Halak, er, Halak in front of the Smith and Demko simply needs to play better. They need to defend better than they have been. And I'm really interested to see one, how the Smith performs tonight, but even further how the guys in front of him play as well. Because if we look back at my model, the high danger, high danger chance model. Um, there was a lot against Thatcher Demko in that game against New Jersey. Like, I mean, you don't need me to tell you. Talk, it was speaking about it a lot post-game, about how many rush chances they were giving up. I counted seven high-danger, high-danger chances in the first period. That's way too many. Like, there's a lot of nights, and I'd be curious about LA specifically, the LA Kings who defend so well. There's a lot of nights where an NHL goaltender will face seven high-danger chances in an entire night. Dasher Demko faced that in the first period. Like, that's bananas um, that that happened. And it bucks the trend of what, of how this Canucks team has defended for most of the season where they have usually been pretty sturdy. And it feels like over the last two, three weeks, they've been, there've been seams starting to show and that they're allowing more cross ice passes, more backdoor plays where the goaltenders don't have nearly as much time to get set. It doesn't allow uh, Demko and DeSmith to play half the net as Tockett likes to say. So you're right. The it's not just DeSmith's performance. It's, also, how does the blue line and the forwards in front of them protect the slot, protect those crossing passes? Okay, right before we get to Andre Kuzmenko, let's hit our light the lamp contest. Let's get to it. I want to hear who you pick for the first goal tonight. So it's time for light the lamp presentation of our friends over at Four Winds Brewing. 
Vancouver is playing Minnesota tonight, and we want to know who's going to score the first goal for Vancouver. If you nail it, you could win a $25 gift card to the Four Winds Tap Room located at 72nd and River Road in Delta. Enter by following us on social media, keep an eye out for today's show clip, and comment who you think will light the lamp and score the first goal tonight. Winners will be contacted directly. Check us out at Canucks Army or at Canucks Combo on Twitter, at CanucksArmy.com on Instagram, and Canucks Army on Facebook. And make sure you ask about Four Winds Light light lager at your local liquor store or have some delivered to your front door through the online shop at fourwindsbrewing.ca. First goal tonight, Quinn Hughes. I'm going Brock Besser, Minnesota Wild in town, his uh, That's hometown a good one. team. Yeah. He's going to be amped up for this game. League leader in goals, Brock Besser. It's it's December. It's almost the middle of December and Brock Besser is leading the NHL in goals. Just another prediction of mine that looks like it's going to come to Matt fruition. Murray is, is having PTSD right now. <laughs> What happened to Matt Murray? Where is he right now? Uh, he's hurt. But is, no, he, is he still on LTIR? Or is he, yes, yes, he's okay. on LTIR. He's on Robida right. Island. Yes. Along with, with uh, Klingberg. 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 Yeah. Jake wow. Muzzin. How about all that cap space, huh? Can we move Tyler Myers to Robida <laughs> Island? Anyways, I'm picking <laughs> Quinn Hughes to score his 10th goal of the season tonight, getting into double digits. Uh, that's my pick for the to light the lamp. You know who I'm going with? Tell me. Andre Kuzmenko. That's a good, okay, so we'll get to it in our Betway bet of the day, but I was looking at Betway, trying to, you know, go around and see what I can find. I'm like, okay, maybe he's on the fourth line. Maybe his odds will have plummeted. Still, still not high. great value. Still yeah. not terrific value, I think. Um, I would have expected more, but he's still getting first power play unit time. So maybe Kuzmenko. Maybe it is Kuzmenko. Harming, give us yours. Tap in from the side. I, I already said Brock, didn't I? Oh, that's right. Yeah, Brock. Sorry. Come on. Listen, man. Look, look, look. I'm going to have to ship you to Robin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, okay. Andre Kuzmenko, fourth line tonight. We've talked about it a bit. Uh, I found it interesting. Rick Tockett, post-game against New Jersey, didn't want to talk about Andre Kuzmenko, said he was tired of answering questions about him and that he's got a forecheck. How about we start with that? He expanded on that a little bit more after today's morning skate. And we've got the clip here, Grady. Uh, I won't say what we titled it, but this is uh, Rick Tockett talking about Andre Kuzmenko. Does, does Kuzi need to look at how he's had success, or can he look at a guy like Hoaglander and see how he's found his way and found his way the way he needs to play? Well, I think both. I think both. You know, I think um, looking at his shifts or looking the way you practice. You know, there's too many times where it's just not Kuzi, a couple other guys, but Kuzi mainly where he, he should be the first guy in the forecheck, and for whatever reason, he always ends up behind everybody, and you can't play that way. You know, the odd time you make a wrong read, I get it. Um, because it makes the other guys in your line play slower. You know, if you're F3 and he's going behind F1, now F3 doesn't know, what do I do now? Like, so, but if he is the guy first on the puck, F3 knows exactly where the puck's going, then he can be aggressive. So that's why, you know, when you look at a guy like Miller, when he plays with guys who, are, who play with pace, it, it really helps Millsy's game. But if he plays with guys that are a little slower, he's going to struggle. So that's why... It's very important that Kuzi understands that if he's F1, he's got to be F1. You can't be F2 or F3. He's got to push the pace. Push the pace. Be F1. Seems like pretty simple stuff, but it's the main thing I think you notice when you watch Andre Kuzmenko play right now is just that, especially in comparison to some lines who are forechecking so hard, like the Bluger line, even the Swedish House Mafia line that we've seen recently, Every line on the Canucks is getting in on the forecheck and they're getting in on it pretty hard. And you just haven't seen that from Kuzmenko. And I think 
I, I really like that Taka pointed out the F1 thing because he just hasn't been like, it's almost like he'll make a play and then he'll almost, and I don't want to accuse anybody of anything, but it's almost like he's pretending like he got tied up or he's pretending like, Oh, th- this is, here's my excuse for not being the first guy in. And I think Taka seeing that because I noticed in a few games where I'm like, okay, he gets into a minor board battle, you know, chips the puck in, and then he's met with, or the, the puck is chipped in, but Kuzmenko's also met with a little bit of pressure and he's slow getting in. And it's just like, you've got to move your feet in that situation. Because not only that, like, you got to move your feet because you want to be the first one in. But if you move your feet, we've seen it with guys like Elias Patterson. We've seen it with guys like Nils Hoglander. If you're the first guy in and you're quick and you're beating your check, there's a chance they might just trip you. Like, there's a chance they might just haul you down and you might draw a penalty. So there's nothing to lose by moving your feet and potentially everything to gain by getting in on the four check. And I really like that talk. It highlighted that. And let's not forget that this is the thing that he kind of laid out as the baseline of what he needs to do is let's four check. Let's start with that. This isn't all Kuzmenko needs to do to improve, but it's a start and we need to see it starting tonight. Well, four check has to be executed as a unit. You can have the best four checker in the world, but if his line mates aren't, up to speed if they aren't up to par it's not going to make a difference the other team is still going to be able to break the puck out especially when you have the canucks and the way they want to play with how aggressively they want to pursue pucks even having the defenseman pinch up sometimes everybody has to work in unison because if the f1 or the f2 is is slow as talkit has mentioned about kuzmenko then it creates it just creates a problem where you, if F2 and F3 are then too aggressive, then you open up the risk of having breakdowns somewhere or somewhere on the ice. And you even see it with the other way, the reverse, where when you are successful as an F1, it isn't just you're immediately going to strip the defender of the puck. It's more that you're forcing the defenseman to make a play under pressure and oftentimes that means sending it up the wall on the weak side where you have some of your teammates there ready yep. to win win the battle. It's not that you have to win the battle yourself. Sometimes it's as simple as I've got to force the defenseman to make a rushed play to move it to the strong side where we have other bodies and other support ready to um, win pucks. And I'll also say this. Part of it is also I wonder if Kuzmenko will ever have the combination of straight line foot speed and competitiveness to be a successful four checker uh, simply because we know that he's an elusive skater. He's agile. He's got good, good edge work. We see the escapability when he's at his best, but in a straight line, he's definitely not the fastest guy. And you definitely see that on the, when he's trying to chase the puck where he just looks lethargic at times. He doesn't have pop acceleration uh, energy. Uh, and he doesn't, you know, he's not a particularly competitive guy away from the puck, but that's not an excuse either because you can look at Brock Besser, for example. Brock Besser doesn't have the foot speed. You wouldn't look at him when he broke into the league as he's the most competitive guy away from the puck, but he's made so many strides in that area on the forecheck with uh, how many wall battles he wins, uh, He always being in the right spots. You see an extra level of urgency this season, and of course you're seeing how it, also translates to offensive success. So if you're Andre Kuzmenko, yeah, you're not going to be Sam Lafferty or 
uh, Nils Hoagland or, or Ilya Mikheyev because you just don't have that type of speed. But you should be watching tape of Brock Besser and seeing, okay, this is Brock's pattern recognition. This is how he make, makes reads. This is the type of urgency he's playing with and seeing if you can emulate some of those qualities. Okay, a uh, lot of good stuff in Scenes from Morning Skate today, courtesy of our pal Jeff Patterson over at Canucks Army. Uh, the Wild have been quietly surging, it feels like, since they fired Dean Evison and brought in John Hines. They are looking for their fifth victory, uh, fifth straight victory under head coach John Hines this evening. Uh, what are the Canucks expecting from the Wild tonight? Yeah, I mean, Boldy's gotten hot again, and really they needed the top of their lineup to start producing, which is is massive. The, I don't think the penalty kill has been nearly as disastrous in the last uh, and costly in, in the last um, few games. But still, when I'm looking at it from the Canucks' perspective, Vancouver has to win its even-strength matchup with, with the top six lines. Like, the Pedersen and Miller lines have to come out on top because I'm looking at Kirill Kaprizov and for much of this season, he's been playing through injury. It's sort of been like, you know how the last 15 games or so Pedersen has really been struggling at even strength. And we've suspected that he's been laboring. That's exactly what Kaprizov has been going through, except it's been the entire game, uh, entire season. And Kaprizov also doesn't have the highest end line mates uh, he has struggled with his puck management at times. He struggled defensively. And even though Kaprizov has five points in three game, in his last three games, and, you, and you'd think, oh, he's back. Quietly, his line has only scored one five and five goal in the last five games. And they've been getting outshot and out chance. It's not just, oh, they're creating lots of quality looks and they're not burying it. They're legitimately getting outplayed, which has been a theme for, for the entire season. He's not the same game breaker that he is right now which to me means that this has to be a night where you're not, you don't have a Jack Hughes to, to sort of necessarily worry about at five on five or Jesper Bratt. Uh, it's not as if you're going up against the abs with uh, McKinnon and Rantanen. And who knows, maybe this is the type of type of game where Kaprizov gets, has, has had some points recently. So maybe his even strength game starts to turn around as well, but to this point, it hasn't been there. So I'm looking at the Canucks, top six and I'm really hoping that they can win their five and five matchups yeah uh since the coaching change the wild have outscored their four opponents 18 to five so you're gonna have to contest with them uh as best you can and look like you just laid it out I don't want to just repeat what you said but this feels like another get right game for Elias Pedersen and his line potentially against the top six of the wild and you're gonna need both lines you're gonna need both lines Uh, in the top six to be going. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Let's get to anyone else as we have a shorter show on this Thursday afternoon. It's time for anyone else presented by DoorDash. It's our listeners chance to get involved in his up in the YouTube live chat. It's also our listeners chance to get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more. That's right. For a limited time, our listeners can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when they download the DoorDash app and enter code NATION25. That's all capital letters, NATION, and the numbers 25. Offer valid in Canada's exchange terms do apply. Okay. Need an inhaler after that one? Of course I do. Speaking of which, no, I'm not going to make a Kuzmenko joke twice in the same show. Uh, okay, this one. I'll read part of this one. This one, I don't know how to pronounce this name. Ho- Hooper? Hooper, yeah. Uh, he's a toxic, which is his nickname for Rick Tockett, I should say. Toxic needs to go. Kuzi is a star, but toxic has... Toxic has blown his confidence with his relentless bullying. He did it to Hoaglander last year, and then he called him a name, which I'm not going to repeat. We thank you, Dan Milstein, for. <laughs> well, I was going to say that too. Yeah. Sounds like Dan Milstein is a burger. Dan Milstein gets in the YouTube live chat. No, no, it's you know, uh, appreciate the contribution. Uh, I don't know if I agree with that. Like to, to some extent. It is the coach's responsibility to get this player back on track. And I don't think I disagree with the way he's going about it. I also don't think the Canucks are deep enough, nor is Kuzmenko good enough to just weather the storm where he doesn't have to play defensively because eventually he's going to return to his 40 goal form. The Canucks aren't deep enough for that. Like we spoke about it yesterday, how much the bad play of his line mates is affecting Elias Pedersen at five on five. The Canucks don't have they can't have time for players like this where you're not going to be able to get the commitment from them at, at the 200-foot game. Like You need it, basically everybody to be a two-way player on this team, and that's just how the modern game is. That's what you need. It's like Alex Ovechkin's like the prime example of the guy who doesn't need to back-check because he scores 40 goals every year, but Andre Kuzmenko isn't Alex Ovechkin. But also, big, big picture, you have to also straddle the line where, as a coaching staff, and this is why I didn't want Kuzmenko to be scratched for this game is you have to walk the fine line where you can't just say, well, I don't need this guy. He's not part of our solution either because let's be honest, given the lack of like, I don't want to say a lack of really high end top six players, but if Kuzmenko's not part of the equation, it is a pretty thin top six. I mean, we're talking about Sam Lafferty, being in that spot, Nils Hoglander is getting an opportunity, but we'll see if he's a full-time fixture there. For the Canucks to 
be successful, for them to reach the next level within the next year or two, when you're committing $5 million in cap space to him, he needs to be a part of the solution. He needs to figure things out and eventually get back to the point where he can be the type of producer that can stick in the top six role and be a difference maker. Because if not, it, like the last thing you want is a scenario where, where this just sort of gets out of hand and becomes a scenario where the relationship is be, beyond repair between the coach and, and the coach and the player. Uh, and all of a sudden you're wondering, can we trade this contract? Do we, uh, I also wonder, does he have some form of trade protection? Because, Oh, you're yes. He, I believe he has a no trade call, no trade clause, but it's, it's a limited. 12. Yeah. Yeah. Limited 12 team, no trade list. Right. So that immediately, like you don't, like you have to think multiple steps ahead because if this gets worse and he also has a limited no um no no trade list there may not be sort of an exit option and you've got yep. him beyond this season so you've 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 got to be careful not to go too hard on him either and uh damage the relationship beyond repair yeah and and also yes every player needs to be reliable sort of defensively but at the same time not every player can be a complete all situations to a stud. I also just want to say Rick Tockett is very far from being a toxic coach. Oh, in my yeah, mind, sure. I think Rick Tockett's a fantastic coach for this day and age. Wyatt Arndt had a really good write-up for us over at Canucks Army about this, how he's kind of a, he's an old school player. He's a bit of an old school coach, but he also has that modern day approach. I also just want to point out when Adam Johnson passed away, Rick was ready to talk about how he was how he was supporting Carson Susie, how he was report, supporting Sam Lafferty, two players of his who had a relationship with Adam Johnson in the past and you know how to support those guys and he opened up about how he deals with grief and I'm sorry but if you're if you're an old school toxic coach you're not giving an answer like that. And that's just one example that came to mind. Uh, I, I don't have a lot of time for anybody suggesting Rick Tockett is toxic because he's benching a player because he can't back check or forecheck. I don't have a lot the of time other, for that. Uh, the other thing I'll say um, sort of related to that is, yes, Tockett has sort of this reputation for, for being really hard on um, hard on guys, but you watch him coaching on the ice, he's not barking yep. or yelling or, or shouting. He's teaching, yes, but a lot of times it's in a really positive, uplifting sort of tone. It's 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 you're not getting like a John Tortorella or a Dar- like Daryl Sutter. It's it's not even I shouldn't even lump uh, Sutter and Tortorella together because Tortorella does it infinitely better than uh, yep. than Sutter did. Yep. But the point is, yes, he presents the image of um of being a hard, tough coach. But watching him on a day to day basis, it, it's not as demanding as you may believe. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's see what else we have in the anyone else. Grady, you said we had one from Facebook. Do you want to just chime in and uh, tell us what it is? Cause we can't see the Facebook chat uh, during the show. Yeah. It's uh, Christopher on Facebook saying, why isn't PD being talked about? He has been invisible. Christopher, you got to go listen to yesterday's show, man. We spent like 20 minutes on this. Uh, well, quickly recap. I came guns ablaze in talking about how PD's been invisible. Uh, Harmon brought up a really good point that a lot of it has to do with his wingers. We saw Dakota Joshua. We saw Sam Lafferty get that shot late last game with Elias Patterson and how he immediately looked better once he got those guys on his line. Uh, Ilya McKay, we didn't even bring it up, back on that line tonight. Uh, I wonder, we talked about the short leash for Hoaglander. 
wonder if there's a bit of a shorter leash for Ilya Mikheyev as well, where Dakota Joshua jumps up and plays on that first line. Because I actually liked the limited sample size we saw. I liked what we saw from Dakota Joshua, Elias Pedersen, and Sam Lafferty. But I understand wanting to get Mikheyev back in there because obviously um, his mistakes and errors are not nearly as egregious as Kuzmenko's. So you like to see Mikheyev get that shot. And I just wonder about the leash and if we'll see uh, Dakota Joshua put back on that line. Yeah, and of course, to sort of circle back to what we said yesterday, it's not just the winger aspect. Yes, Pedersen's been struggling. He's been underwhelming at 5-5. Five and five. Uh, He's also probably laboring through an injury right now. And as I sort of referenced a number of, uh, of examples yesterday, like McDavid, uh, before the last half, you know seven games or so where he's really yep. heated up, uh, Drysaddle, uh, Kaprizov, another, exa- another example, Matthew Kachuk, Austin Matthews, so many examples of superstars that haven't been lighting the the world on on fire. Sometimes guys just go through stretches like this, and I'm confident that Pedersen will get through it. As frustrating as, as it is to see him not look as dynamic as and dangerous as we're um, used to seeing him. Uh, Corey Anderson jumped in the YouTube live chat and said, oh my goodness, guy is top six in scoring five points in three games. Best player on the ice in Montreal. Clearly has been playing at not 100%. People need to give EP40 a break and get off his back already. This narrative drives me nuts. Okay, let's get to another anyone else here. This one from RP88. Do you think the Canucks power play has become more predictable for some teams? Might be a reason why they're not scoring as much lately. I think they were a little stagnant in the New Jersey game. Like, I thought they moved the puck well, but there was less rotation than there normally is. And JT Miller didn't specifically say that. He said he didn't want to get into the tactics of it all, but JT Miller was very upset with the Canucks power play, which I didn't think was that bad. But JT Miller was talking like that was the worst power play he's ever seen. They went one for four on the night against New Jersey, but during his post-game media avail, Miller came in guns blazing. He was not happy with the power play, and he took a lot of that onus on himself, um, being one of the guys on that first unit, and said this is a game where the power play could have won it for us, and he was very upset that they did not. Yeah, it definitely hasn't looked as threatening or as dangerous, but also before the New Jersey game, I was looking at a sample of, I don't know, somewhere between the last 13 to 15 games, and the power play had slipped, but it was still 11th in in the NHL in that time, so still clipping at an above-average rate. Yes, you wanted to get back to the elite level. It has been, but this is part of the ebbs and flows. It doesn't matter how stronger power play is it's not always going to operate at an elite clip i mean look at the oilers last last couple seasons they've had the best power play in nhl history and through the first 15 games or so it was pedestrian the oilers power play with mcdavid with dry settle with nugent hopkins with um with bouchard just endless amount of uh, of weapons and their power play was sort of struggling mm-hmm. too. And, and that's the power play that all the other teams in the NHL look up to as the gold standard. That's the one that Rick Tockett consistently references as that's the bar that everybody's trying to get through. So yes, the power play has slipped recently and you want it to get better, but I'm not worried about it yet. Not nearly as much as we are about the penalty kill, which we've talked yeah. about a lot on recent shows. Okay. Before we close out anyone else, couple here from NAR, the first one I'll answer. If you stacked Connor Garland on top of Niels Huglander and fit them under one jersey, would it create a bigger, better offensive player? Okay. I, first of all, don't know if he did this on purpose. 
but he pointed out that Garland is on top of Niels Huglander, which is absolutely the correct combination. The power in Niels Huglander's legs, not only could he support Connor Garland's body weight and still skate and win puck battles, that's the first part that I like about this this question is, yes, you have the combination correct. It would create a bigger, bigger player. Better offensively, I don't know. I feel like you'd lose some speed, right? Like definitely, you would lose. You would lose some speed. You would lose the edge work, would the you? elusiveness in the corners, and yeah, you'd have Garland like twisting his hips on top of Hoaglander trying to get trying to get Spinoramas done, and it's not going to be happening nearly as much. Uh, the other thing is Connor Garland's stick is too short as it is, and if he's up there, holy <laughs> cow, there's no way that's an effective player. So I'm gonna say that yes, you'd get a bigger player obviously and you have the combination correct you're on the right track nor uh but i don't know about better offensively might have more finishing than connor garland but it's still connor garland up top so who knows but also like if hoaglander is on the bottom then he's determining like where they're skating and what direction they're like spinning and turning and so he's making a lot of reads yeah which i like garland's a much smarter player than hoaglander is like hoaglander has so many physical tools i think the biggest area that he sometimes needs to improve on, which the coaching coaching staff has referenced is the hockey sense. Mm -hmm. So there needs to be a way for, for Garland to control their like that. I don't know even what, I don't even know what to call them as a single entity, but he needs to be the one in charge of the decisions with and without the puck. Hogland. Don't do that again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Just to be clear. The best possible combination would be JT Miller's legs with Elias Patterson on top of him. Like Elias Patterson on JT Miller's back. That's a ginormous player, first of all. He's got the hands of Elias Patterson, and he's going into every... Patterson goes into board battles hard. They'd still have the reverse hit. That would be the best option that you could come up with, I think. I don't know. But you need Quinn Hughes' skating. Like, Quinn... For a four, okay. For yeah, no, I don't know, man. For for a forward, I don't know. But if you've got the extra, if he's if Miller's got the extra weight of, but can Quinn Hughes support Elias Patterson on his shoulders for sixty minutes? I don't think so. I I I bet J T Miller can. That's a good point. You'd have to tell PD to cut weight. <laughs> That'd be the, <laughs> the opposite message. PD, you got to start cutting weight. You got to start losing weight. Uh, back to your rookie season. We want we want people to start taking pictures of you and your shoulder pads again and say how slight you look we want that to start happening again okay uh the last one from nar that i want to get to does myers get traded this season let's hear your bets i say no we've said no before yeah i say no okay. I, I i bet that the look let me put it this way if the coaching staff was confident enough to somehow use myers in a shutdown role against jack against the jack hughes line against new jersey the uh, the other night like that speaks volumes about how much they like him, mm-hmm. even though they shouldn't have used him. Like and liked his game of late. One of our best players, yeah. is the quote from Rick Tocchet. One of our better players. We've heard it all from Rick. Tocchet and so, recently. like, do you think we're really going to reach a point where, look, Myers is never going to fetch you a return? It's going to be about the cap space. Yep. But I bet that the Canucks look at Myers and go, "Well, we we definitely don't love the contract, but at the same time." We're short on right shot defensemen. Even if you bring Ethan Bear uh, into the mix, I bet they still like his size and and you'd want the right side depth in, in case of a playoff run. I'm I, I'm not expecting the Canucks to move Myers. Okay, we'll close out this one from Karan, 
who asked, what do the Canucks have to do to sign Ethan Bear? Do they need to make a trade to free up cap? If you have not seen it already, we recapped it over at Canucks Army this morning. Sportsnet Elliot Friedman had a report with his 32 Thoughts column late last night on Wednesday evening, uh, noting that the Canucks would like to keep Ethan Bear, but that he has other suitors from around the NHL highlighting the Toronto Maple Leafs because, of course, he did. Um, he said there is word tonight that interested teams will now be allowed to watch Ethan bear skate. He's based in Kelowna, BC, and a few are going to take him up on the offer. Vancouver would like to keep him. He's interested in a return, but the Canucks are capped tight. And there are others who can try to outbid. It's not just the money though. Part of it is also the opportunity, right? Where now the Canucks have Zadorov, meaning when Susie's healthy, you've got four lefties, presumably one of those, players like Ian Cole move to the right side. And then all of a sudden you've got, let's say Heronic on the right side, you've got uh, Cole on the right side, and then you've got Myers and, and bear there's competition there. Right. And it's easy for people to say, Oh, just scratch Tyler Myers. They're not just going to keep Tyler Myers in the press box every night. Yep. So there's legit competition now on the Canucks blue line to earn regular everyday minutes Whereas if you look at a team like Toronto, where they've lost Klingberg, Lilligren is still out. That right side looks really, really thin. They've got Lagesson, Benoit, and Connor Timmins in their top six right now on the blue line. If you're looking at it from an opportunity standpoint and what's the best way for me to make an impact, be an everyday player, set myself up for a better payday on my next contract on July 1st, the you know the type of opportunity you'd get in Toronto, especially when you play in a market like that, you know the attention's gonna be on, on you. So if you play well, it's going to garner headlines. Like you can understand why that would be a tr- an attractive opportunity. Um, even though of course there are other pros Vancouver can offer in mm-hmm. terms of the familiarity, uh, the proven fit, um, you know, close he's already in BC. Uh there's a comfort level there that Vancouver can offer that Toronto can't playing with Quinn Hughes as well. You can sell that to him as best you can, of course, because you just outlined that there is quite a bit of competition right now. Grady's got something for us. Well, just on bear, like I would think he would be a solid addition, especially over the depth of Juleson and Friedman, but he's not the type of player that you want to get into a bidding war over. Um, The injury that he suffered was pretty serious. And I think it's going to take a while for him to get back up at least to the level. And there is even no guarantees he gets back up to that level that he showed with Hughes and whether he plays with him or not. Um, I would just worry and be hesitant because there's limited cap space already for this team to go with. And if you're going to spend it, maybe you look at something, you know, aim a little higher. Um, But having said that, if the money is right, you know, around a million dollars or so, and he wants to come back, I'm all for that. I just don't think he's the type of guy you wanted to get into a, a bidding war over. We'll see. Seems like things are progressing and we will get closer and closer to a decision from Ethan Bear. Okay, let's close it out with Betway. Our Betway bet of the day brought to you by our friends at, you guessed it, Betway. Quinn Hughes to score a goal tonight is the bet at plus 300 odds. A $10 bet returns you $40 over at Betway. It must be 19 plus play. If you choose to play, please play responsibly. I'm going with this one because I just want to uh, be even closer to winning my bet with Chris Faber. Dinner at, uh, we decided it's going to be Eliza. Eliza Steakhouse. Ooh. That's right. And two Coke and rums for me. Rum and Cokes. I know they're called rum and Cokes. So it's a joke. It's a running joke 
on this show. But we'll close it out there for now. For my co-host, Harmon Dial, and our technical producer, Grady Sass, my name is Dave Guadrelli. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. Canucks Conversation with Harmon and Quads every weekday at 2 p.m. Be sure to check it out on the Canucks Army YouTube channel. And if you missed it, go check it out on your favorite podcast catcher app.